You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. In this episode of Talking Taiwan, I welcome back Reverend Michael Stanton to talk about his time in Taiwan and work with the indigenous people of Taiwan. Much of the time he spent in Taiwan was during the martial law era before 1987, and he gives an interesting account of what Taiwan was like at the time. Reverend Stanton is the president of the Taiwanese Human Rights Association of Canada and the founder and director of the Canadian Mackay Committee. We had Reverend Stanton on as a guest previously to talk about the Canadian missionary George Leslie Mackay's contributions to Taiwan. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 and its mission is 1. To evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. 2. To oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. 3. To fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. 4. To contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. 5. To reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NADWA, visit their website www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you. It's nice to be here again. I wanted to have you back to talk about your work with uh, Taiwan's Indigenous Peoples and the Taiwanese Human Rights Association of Canada. And I understand there's also a story of how you got kicked out of Taiwan. <laughs> yes, we'll come to that. So last time you talked about how through a roundabout conversation, we talked about how you're a student radical at the at York University in the late 60s, and at that time you got involved with the anti-Vietnam War movement and got interested in China, and through your interest in China and being a leftist student with all these ideals, you ended up studying Chinese language at Cornell and the Stanford Center at the National Taiwan University in Taiwan, and that was the first time that you were introduced to Taiwan, and that was in 1974. That's right. And you described at that time that since you were there to study Mandarin Chinese, that they assigned you to live with a mainland family as well, right? Yes, it was. Uh, it was an excellent program, and uh, I, I've my uh, many people have benefited from the, the facility in Chinese that I, I gained through Cornell and uh, and Stanford Center. Uh, one of the uh, things they insisted on was that we they arranged for us to live and live with a family that spoke very good Mandarin and the family was not allowed to speak English with us so they didn't allow us to they weren't allowed to ask us to help their kids with their English homework and all of that uh, worked very well of course Taiwan in that time was still a, a police state I mean um, in every sense of the word this is 1974 or 5 and we got up to uh, 19, uh, April 1975, of course, and that is when Chiang Kai-shek died, uh, when things got really interesting. Now, uh, although Taiwan 
of course, was a very anti-communist police state because most of the students who were at the Stanford Center were interested not in doing research on Taiwan, although there were some anthropologists who not only wanted to study Taiwan, but even wanted to study uh, Taiwanese language rather than Mandarin, <laughs> which we all thought was kind of weird <laughs> at the time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, sure. the uh, So in the Stanford Center, we had a library which uh, had a locked room a double locked room and you had to sign in to go in and sign out to come out which had all the banded materials so they had like a hong chi and uh, and the, you know the chinese mainland papers and all of the works of chairman mao and so on anything that from mainland china so uh, to do to go in there you had to go sign out what what book you took out and and then uh, uh, signed back in confirming that you know you hadn't taken the book home which was a big no-no mm -hmm. and sometimes uh, just unannounced and sometimes on a regular basis the garrison command uh, would come and uh, check to make sure everything was in place in the library well one of the incidents that happened during that year was one day they came and there was one issue of a magazine missing so they're very thorough. I can imagine oh. going through all these one by one. You know? Yes. And uh, yes. so uh, the the next morning we were all called in and, uh, you know, the garrison command people of their police were all standing there and frowning at us. And the, the head of our school, the principal, was a professor from, from Stanford, uh, explained the situation and explained how serious this was. And if, if this wasn't remedied, we could lose the entire – privilege to even use this room and see these materials and uh, mm. that's this had to be returned by noon if somebody had taken it well sure enough a uh, one of my fellow students a young woman started crying and said it was me it was me i, I just needed to finish this article and i just took it home oh, and I, i've already brought it back <laughs> there it is so, so of course they took her off and you know gave her the third degree the family got the third degree they were all investigated their house was searched you know, serious serious business oh, and uh, but we were very glad that uh, you know we didn't lose the uh, the uh, communist materials library because that was the only place on campus where you had air conditioning because oh. the room, the room oh. was hermetically sealed of course the window was all sealed up so we got we liked to go in there even mm -hmm. if we didn't want to read those materials just to keep cool on hot hot summer days oh. so, uh, <laughs> so do you know what the magazine that was missing was? no it was just you know there, there are many magazines from uh, put up from China, so it could have been something totally trivial, sure. you know, some literature okay. or something, but, uh, uh, okay. the, uh, yeah, yeah, just curious. Uh, no, the, um, uh, the other incident uh, that happened uh, was, was when Chiang Kai-shek died, of course, this was a huge, huge, you know, the end of the world in Taiwan, the emperor, Beng Jia, you know, and, uh, Mm -hmm. Not just the death of a you know, apologist and the death of the emperor, and and people were you know bowing down and kneeling mm -hmm. and kowtowing and uh, cutting and cutting their fingers and writing you know pledges in blood to you know recover the mainland. So, uh, uh, wow, nothing else on television. There were three stations those days, and of course the all the regular program mm -hmm. ended. It was just all mm -hmm. all about 
，然后强攻，强攻，你离开了我们，然后强攻，你是世界的救救主啊，什么 ？Said what? That's the savior of the world. This is getting a bit too extreme,、mm -hmm. but anyways. Watching this night after night,、mm -hmm. and the lines of people going to see the, you know, see the coffin at the uh, uh, where it was put in the Zhongshan.、Uh, uh, what was it?、Uh, yeah, Zhongshan, Zhongshan Tang. So、uh, I was sitting there, and my my landlady and, and yeah, the signature memorial. Yeah, yeah, we're we're watching, and my landlady was you know started crying, and then. Her daughter started crying, and then the the little six year sixth grade son started crying, and then the juvenile delinquent ju junior high school son he started crying, and and I looked at them crying, and I started crying. So, so when I I can tell、oh, people、dear. yes, when Chen Kai Shek died, I cried too. So, <laughs> which always shocks my Taiwanese friends, <laughs> but it was it was、uh, you know a a, a A world where you know the police were everywhere and and controlled everything, right? So、mm -hmm. it was、uh, it was an experience in what、mm -hmm. the totalitarian government is like. So they're visible, like they like on the streets, and they're publicly. The presence was always there. Well, yeah, we always had the police and the little police boxes, just like in Japan, you know, kobans, and、uh, mm -hmm. and that、mm -hmm. wouldn't be normal. They learned they got this system from Japan, but you know, the, the police were. Always checking out people, and there was、uh, no, you know, no right to remain silent in those days. And if they, there were many cases which, you know, they、mm -hmm. they they arrested somebody, just criminal cases, right? Where they arrested somebody and、uh, and 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 beat the living daylights out of them until they confessed. And there was one guy who、uh, they arrested and beat, and while they were taking him off to court, he got away and jumped over off a bridge into the river and you know committed suicide. And then it turned out later that the the person、oh, wow. that he hadn't even committed the crime, right? But this was、uh, this was、oh, you know not much like different from from communist China, you know. Today, you know, they just beat the confession、mm -hmm. out of you, and they don't care whether it's true or not. So that was Taiwan、mm -hmm. in the 1970s. Reverend Staden left Taiwan in 1975 and returned to Canada and worked for the Canadian Council of Churches. We got into all of that in episode 173. Then he was sent to Taiwan as a missionary in 1980 to work with the Presbyterian Church of Taiwan. But before he arrived, he learned that Reverend Gao Zhimin, the General Secretary of the Presbyterian Church of Taiwan, who was the guarantor on Reverend Staten's visa, had been arrested for helping to hide Su Mingde, who had been involved in the Gaosheng incident. Reverend Staten wasn't sure he'd be allowed into Taiwan. Fortunately, he was. When Reverend Staten arrived in Taiwan, he was met by the acting general secretary and the English assistant for Reverend Gao, and this is what they told him. They said, "Well, everything is a great、mm -hmm. chaos. We're not sure what's going to happen. We they they may just send all the missionaries home,、uh, and、uh, so you know the church is uh, just uh, not sure what's going to happen, but." So we 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 don't have、uh, the time to do the usual missionary training. And anyways, you've already learned Mandarin, so we're assigning you to be the director of、uh, the mountain. Today we would say Aboriginal, but in those days they they still said Shandi, huh? Instead of Yanzumi, Shandi, Shizhong, Dazhuang, Shizhong, Zhongxin. 
mm-hmm. in Taipei. So we'll put you in the Y for a night, and Sunday mm-hmm. you can go over there, and the new, the old director will hand things over to you. So Sunday morning, I got up and went, took the taxi over to the the center, and uh, finally one mm-hmm. student came in and said, "Oh, are you the guy who's going to be the new director?" And I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Oh, the," uh, I said, "Where's the, uh, the the director?" And he said, "Oh, he." He phoned and said he's not coming today, but you. He said you will you will be preaching the sermon, huh. <laughs> the service. So, so I said, oh, well, wow. yeah. So that was this what I said. Oh wow! <laughs> Fortunately, I had my morning questions. <laughs> I, I perhaps God knew this was going to happen, as, uh, as often happens in life. And I had some. I've been particularly moved by the passage that I'd read in my morning devotions that day. So that's what I shared in my sermons, and thanks to. Cornell and uh, Stanford <laughs> Center, I was able to get through it, although you know, not very well. The students loved correcting my Chinese, you know, and always reminding me how bad my Chinese was <laughs> and so on. So, so to make them listen to the sermons more when I was director there, I said, okay, here's the deal. When I'm preaching and I say something wrong or use the wrong word, right, I just want you to, mm-hmm. to shout out, right? The correction. What is the right word? Right? <laughs> the right pronunciation. Well, that was good because that kept them paying attention, so they right. could and correct right. the director. <laughs> and I learned, you know, my Chinese improved very oh, that's rapidly because <laughs> I had these very strict, very strict teachers who were quite enthusiastic to correct my my Chinese. So, um, <laughs> um, well, there were the students, of course. Uh, we're all indigenous students, and they were there taking anything from the high school entrance exams to the university entrance exams, and in between are going to Busi Bans to cram schools. But the ones who were in school, especially Taipei Gunzuan, which is now Taipei Kozidashi, just a few blocks away from the center, they uh, all had to report every Monday morning what I had said on Sunday. And in fact, they were often questioned, you oh. know, about what this foreigner is saying. Did and they report it to? Oh, the the Zhao Guan at the school, the 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 political oh. commissar, you know, who who the schools had. Every school had the Zhao Guan political commissar, oh. the military guy, who was responsible oh. for student discipline. So he had to mm. come into his office and give the report. And mm. and this was uh, this, of course, was when. Uh, Things were beginning to break down for the Guomindag. We're talking about 1980, and then in 1981, of course, was mm-hmm. the elections, which the Danghuai got 30% of the vote in the local elections and elected a lot of city, town, mm-hmm. provincial councillors. So, uh, so Very it was a political opening, mm-hmm. uh, and I, uh, I thought, well, you know, my job here is. is not just to uh, run worship services and run the dormitory, which was a was quite a job itself, but uh, you know to help mm-hmm. these students uh, open up their minds to faith and politics. Because Aboriginal churches were then, and even today, most of them, many of them, are very conservative. The clergy were all KMT. The elders mm-hmm. were all KMT. You know, and uh, they and and they came out of this mm. background. So. Um, Said, so, well, there's an election, and we have, uh, you know, Christians who are running in this election. And only a couple blocks away mm-hmm. from the student center was the home of Yao Zhaowen, who was then in prison, and his wife Zhou Qingyu. And Zhou Qingyu was running 
uh, in this election. So I said, okay, let's invite Zhou Qingyu to come and speak about her faith and politics. You know, why does her faith lead her to become involved in politics? And to balance things off, we'll also invite the only Aboriginal person okay. who was on the KMT Central Committee, a Paiwan elder, Presbyterian also, mm-hmm. called Che Gui, who was super, super deep blue KMT, right? <laughs> and so uh, so that was okay, okay because I balanced them off and that was fair, you know, to let each of them say their piece. Okay. And then uh, I'd, I said, what can we do to sort of help promote their, their Aboriginal identity? Because at that time there was nothing about, you know, Aboriginal mm-hmm. rights, Aboriginal identity, Aboriginal language. No, 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 nothing of that. Well, a, a academic at the uh, Academia Sinica, a young academic, had written a article on Wu Feng. You know, the myth, the, well, it was not totally a myth, but the story of mm-hmm. Wu Feng, you know, who was beheaded by the Cao tribe, and then, but uh, but that got them all to repent and stop Haitianism, mm-hmm. who became sort of a saint to the, to the Chinese and the Japanese, too. No paper would pu- – it was a critique of this myth, showing out that this myth had, you know, there were a lot of impossible things in it and they were had of falsehoods at, at variance with history and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, because this was mm-hmm. a myth that the KMT mm-hmm. had also adopted because it promoted, you know, being loyal to the, the government and not hunting heads. Um, no paper would publish it except the equivalent of the Toronto Sun. It was sort of the sports and, you know, sports and entertainment newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I said, this is an interesting article. Let's have them come to the student center and talk. In fact, let's have a whole series on Aboriginal history. Right. So this article was basically... It was the first time that anyone had critiqued the Wu Feng story, which, of course, now has been totally rejected because of the work that he began. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. (laughs) So this story was really to serve how the Aborigines were reformed from being headhunters or something? Well, of course, they they weren't. But the idea was it portrayed the Aboriginal people as, you know, innocent but uh, violent, primitive savages. And and this official was so loyal and so Mm -hmm. virtuous. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Japanese really made a big thing about this. And they even gave him a title called the Christ of the Orient because he sacrificed – well, you know, he was then killed. Right? Supposedly, he sacrificed his life so mm-hmm. that they would repent from headhunting. You know, so. so uh, but oh. this was a big, big <laughs> thing, and we had all these university students who hadn't been involved in the center itself, and some weren't Christian even. You know, come to these, and this was made quite a stir because the first time anybody had had people coming and giving talks to Aboriginal students on indigenous history and identity issues because what they they had Mm -hmm. Aboriginal student Mm -hmm. organizations controlled by the Kuomintang through the China Youth Corps right but these were like song and dance Mm -hmm. and and, and, you know teaching Mm -hmm. them to be loyal to the government you mentioned that their Mandarin was so good that they would correct you like were did they were they able to retain their indigenous languages well, yes, but nobody was teaching it to them, right? They just, what they learned at home, they spoke. And right. some of them couldn't speak mm-hmm. any, and some of them could uh, would, would speak very well. So uh, right. we had, uh, uh, of course, the police were always there uh, watching and listening. My phone was tapped. Mm-hmm. I, and mail was mm-hmm. open. I know that because mm-hmm. it was literally opened and then taped shut, you know. And magazines would come in and uh, like the Far Eastern Economic Review was the place mm-hmm. everyone went for political news. And it would mm-hmm. come. 
it's mm-hmm. envelope and it opened up the envelope, and there we are. Mm-hmm. And page 38 was a picture of Mao Zedong and it had all been blacked out with, with, with black magic marker and then, or Faye, <laughs> you know, bandit written over it. Right. So they had all these soldiers sitting somewhere mm-hmm. in the central post office, you know, said, all right, go to page 38 and cross out the picture of Chairman Mao, you know, or cross out the third line to the eighth line mm-hmm. in this article, you know, so, so uh, it was uh, still right, right, still right. martial law in Taiwan. It was still a... Right, uh, there was a censorship, censorship right. arrow. And uh, once a month, we'd have a birthday party for the students. And the uh, students uh, would come and they'd, we'd have birthday cake and, uh, you know, they'd play Aboriginal music and they'd sort of dance Aboriginal song and dance. At that time, actually, it was illegal for students to dance in Taiwan, but it was okay for Aboriginal people to do, you know, Aboriginal song oh. and dance things, right? Oh. So... Anyways, mm-hmm. they, I was in my my room at the back, and the students were out having their party and singing, you know, the guitar, singing the, the popular songs of the day. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. one of the students came in and said, okay. oh, Turin, uh, 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 there's somebody here to see you. And I said, well, I'll have him come in. He says, uh, <clears throat> I think you better come out and see them. And I came out, and the students <laughs> were all lined up against the wall, and here was the local policeman who was drunk. Uh, and and all these oh garrison command soldiers you know with their steel helmets and rifles in hand you know with the students all lined oh, wow. up on the wall I said, what's going on here oh the guy the the soldier the uh, the drunken mm-hmm. policeman said oh we've received mm-hmm. a secret report that you're having an illegal dance party here <laughs> i said well did you see them dancing oh wow and they're having a birthday party and they're playing, you know, Aboriginal music and they do Aboriginal dance. That's not illegal. Anyhow, so he was taking down the names of all the students and, you know, their, their, what school they were at and everything, oh if they didn't know. And he was so drunk wow. he could barely write. And I, I should have just told him to fuck off, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I told one of the students here, you know, why don't you do the oh. writing for him? So anyways, they know who the students are anyways. So, oh, boy. Uh, Meanwhile, the, 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 oh, the soldiers were standing there looking very embarrassed at the whole thing. He said, well, you know, we'll just continue to have the party while he's doing mm-hmm. that. And here, give some cake, you know, give some cake to all the the, the soldiers <laughs> since they're here. So they were very happy. And one of the soldiers came over to me and said, oh, could we have one more, a couple more pieces of cake? And I said, why? I said, well, well because there's a... One, one guy stayed downstairs. And I said, well, have him come up. I says, no, he, he doesn't want to come up because... He's Aboriginal and he's embarrassed to be doing this to his fellow Aboriginal oh, <laughs> students. Oh, so we took a piece of cake oh, down. Wow. So, uh, anyways, uh, oh, wow. I went down to and outside a huge crowd had gathered on the street. They were waiting for me to be dragged out in chains or something, I guess, because they knew I was always criticizing the government. <laughs> right. And uh, wow. didn't, but it, mm-hmm. it, uh, it did improve my image in the eyes of the the local the the, the local street gang, who, who who then I became their hero. And they they said, oh, you know, from now on, when whenever they police give you trouble, you just call us. We'll protect you. You know, we'll we'll make sure the police don't do anything to you. Thank you so much, guys. They they even offered to take me to Huasiji to one oh, of the wow. brothels if I wanted to go with them. And, so, and oh wow. So, uh, and anyways. I know the phone was tapped because once a week I would phone my fiance in, in Toronto and we'd ta- chat briefly. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, calls were expensive mm-hmm. in those days. So uh, mm-hmm. 
I told her all about this yes. and what what an idiot this policeman was and what a disgrace he was to you know the police and so on. But a few weeks later, I had to go into the police yes. station for something. You always had to go for this piece of paper, that piece of paper. And I said, oh, you know, I haven't mm. seen so-and-so for a while. And they looked at me, sort of grinned and said, oh, he's been transferred. <laughs> so, so sweet victory. <laughs> so that the, was the policeman sort of, that you had been speaking yeah, to. Yeah, this, this, right. this drunken policeman, yes. Anyways, that was uh, life at the oh, student. Right. That was life at the student center. And uh, <laughs> many, some of the students who were there are now important leaders in the Aboriginal world, politicians and uh, civil servants and ministers, oh, uh, and including the uh, chair mm -hmm. of the uh, the uh, Indigenous Affairs Commission, Itian Balurt. He was one of the students at National Taiwan University then, so mm -hmm. that's where he uh, started oh, his political that. life. Uh, well, I have to tell this one. <laughs> uh, I, you know, this is going okay. on long, but old people tell stories. You can cut it out after. No, right? no, please. Uh, so, so the the every every year the uh, the Kuomintang controlled, or the you know the the Chinese Youth Corps controlled uh, northern Taiwan. Uh, uh, Mountain Compatriots Student Association would have an election for a new president, a new official, new you know, a new committee, right? And the elections were always basically, you know, the KMT people. Well, Ijang was already, you know, uh, thinking it's time to stand up against the KMT, so he he ran against the KMT nominee, who was a, a student mm -hmm. also, and oh wow, and, uh, and, wow. Uh, you know the 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 one that everybody's so I said well we have to support this guy you know so so uh, we got all the students mm -hmm. you know and all the students together and said oh we have to work for Ijang you know he's our he's he's one of us and so on and so on he's standing up for <laughs> well we still said yes. mountain people in those days mm -hmm. you know Sandy mm -hmm. and and so I uh, yes you know, he, yeah he they had would his, call their aborigines mountain people yeah he had his uh, he had his you know his little sheets that he handed out. You know, little his 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 propaganda. So I said, "Well, here well, I'll just photo. I'll just we'll just pay for photocopying <laughs> this from the student Mountain Student Center." You know, so uh, so we had this oh. fan camp campaign, and everybody was getting mm -hmm. really excited because yeah. nobody had ever done this before. And Zhang was a good speaker, yeah. and uh, so uh, right. so yeah. the big meeting came, and they all went, and I went to sit there, of course, as a guest, and so on. And uh, the 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 uh, the Ching uh, Nintuan, the youth corps official who was in charge of things, said, "Well, now, first of all, you know, we they went through have to go through all these procedural things. So first of all, we have to who and who was nominated, and so on, and so on, and so and so. They uh, two copies of their their student card, yes, you know, check check. Two copies of their record, check check. Well, you know, two copies of this, two copies of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, Ijang only gave mm -hmm. one copy mm -hmm. of some trivial." document right therefore i mean they could have photocopied it right uh -huh. <laughs> but therefore ejang is disqualified yeah so the kmt guy is elected by acclamation right? <laughs> which was good Whoa. this was a real radicalizing experience for a lot of these students you know <laughs> so much for the kmt's version of democracy oh. right and now for a short break Hello listeners, we're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content, under 20 minutes long, and we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes? What would you like to hear more of or less of? 
email us at podcast at talkingtaiwan.com. We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lin, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lin, author of Death Doesn't Forget, and Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. So it's good. I mean, these things happened. Uh-huh. It was all, you know, yeah. part of the consciousness. It's good for them to see that happen, yeah. yeah. Sure. Anyways, I was kind of burnt out. And so then in the fall, November, I think it was, of 1982, I moved to something which I was much more interested in doing than, than student work, was working in rural Aboriginal community development. So uh, Taipei Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church had a community development center in Wulai, south of Taipei, right? And Wulai, of course, was okay. the first tourist center which had been developed in Taiwan under the Japanese. And, of course, hot springs, beautiful scenery, huge, gorgeous waterfall, and, uh, and of course, prostitution, mm-hmm. which was part of Japanese, you know, Japanese tourist <laughs> culture. And so and it was still a place for prostitution, right? So, anyways, the director was a, a mm-hmm. Aboriginal minister who had gone to seminary with Gao Junming and was one of this first generation of – sorry, not Aboriginal, Taiwanese oh. – minister, one of the first generation of Taiwanese students who in the late 40s and early 50s had been involved in doing evangelism in indigenous communities because at that time, you know, most of them were not Mm -hmm. Christians. And he actually had been an early evangelist in Wulai, Mm -hmm. so he came back. It was quite appropriate in that sense that he was there because the older generation knew him and and trusted Mm him. Uh, Unfortunately... Their mistrust, their trust had been misplaced. Uh, first of all, he decided that what they need to do is raise milk goats, in, import all these milk goats from Japan, these big white zanin goats. And in Taiwan, it's very popular still. You know, people will mm-hmm. have these little, little, you know, 100cc bottles of, uh, of warm goat's milk delivered to the house in the morning, and the, the kids will drink it. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be good for their lungs okay. and respiratory uh-huh. system so uh, okay uh, so in in theory the idea was good the problem was that the, the local people weren't really interested in doing this they had other things they'd like them to do for instance help marketing their their shiitake mushrooms right which were suffering now because <laughs> cheaper mushrooms from from thailand and china were were cutting into their import export market right especially to japan right okay. so and he said oh no no it's not yeah. worth doing that so well, uh, anyways, um, 
So that was one problem. He he was not listening to the local people, which of course is the first rule of doing community development. <laughs> it's the development of of people, and the people are mm-hmm. it's there. Yes. It's, it's it's there. Right. For, you not, need not to understand what the people need or want. Right. And, and, and right. respect that. And if they right. if they're wrong, you have long discussions until they decide. Okay, we understand mm-hmm. now why this maybe is not a good idea. But mm-hmm. anyhow, mm-hmm. the other thing was, I hadn't been there very long before uh, one day the treasurer uh, of the who was also Taiwanese and uh, she said to me oh Reverend Stanton you know why did you buy such an expensive water heater you know all these gas heaters for your bath well this wasn't a gas heater this was an electric heater very expensive these were top of the line in Taiwan cost mm-hmm. 20,000 mm-hmm. NT which mm-hmm. was a good salary a good month salary uh, for for more sure. than more than just to work with this would be like an executive uh, you know the head of various programs would get 20,000 NT a month so so I said well I didn't buy a new one you your husband you, he, your husband was the very person who came over and put in a new uh, all it needed was a new flint you know to get the fire going and he repaired it so uh-huh, uh-huh. so then uh-huh. uh, well I think this was you know delivered mm-hmm. oh, it was delivered he said oh Reverend Satan don't don't worry about it. There's, there's a lot of things like this on the, that uh, we don't understand. What do you mean? I said, what do you mean? Well, f- well, then they started spilling the beans and how he was embezzling money left, right, and center. <laughs> so, and, oh. and, of course, Taiwanese are very good at wow. thinking of ways to embezzle money. But the, So they would go through the accounts, and like he'd order a toilet <laughs> for the center, and there'd be three different bills, and it'd be charged three times, right? on three different months, right? So it wouldn't appear oh. all the same month, right? And, and all these mm-hmm. type of things and mm-hmm. go out to eat and the, the, the you know, the beef noodles might be uh, 100 kwai, and uh, but uh, they'd write a bill for 300 kwai, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, so, which happened a lot in Taiwan. They'd ask oh. you, how much would you like mm-hmm. us to write on the bill, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, so uh, <laughs> I said, well, this, you know, this, this, is, this isn't going to go. And, and, uh, so I went to the General Assembly, the, the same woman who met me at the air fire, and I said, you know, he's embezzling money and so on and so on. Well, well, yes, sometimes these things happen, but, you know, don't you just, don't, you just don't say anything. We will take care of this, right? Well, <laughs> the way things are taken care of in Taiwan, as in Canada, first of all, you know, they, they take their time. Second, they try to sweep it all under the rug. Uh, however, Reverend Liu didn't waste mm-hmm. any time. He he would have found out as soon as the the English secretary of the at the General Assembly had called Taipei Presbytery about this. He knew, right? We are on to him. And and fortunately, we had already been busy photocopying all of these these false receipts and uh, you know and accounts, thinking that they might disappear. Yes. Sure enough, oh. we came in one morning oh. and the filing yes. cabinets had been emptied out. <laughs> At the, at the at the office. Oh wow! And of course, they all went back to his house. So, uh, <laughs> where where I another, an earlier occasion, I had gone just to check out and gone to the bathroom. Sure enough, there was this big, expensive Dengonpai electric heater right there in his bathroom. You know? So, uh, so uh, oh wow, yeah. We um, anyways, uh, you know, the, the thing is, in the church, is like the government, a presbytery. So you have the National General Assembly. That's like the national government of the church. And then you have all these regional presbyteries, and they're like provinces, okay? Mm 
And just like in Canada, okay. you know, the federal government can't really right. interfere in something that's a provincial mm -hmm. matter. And this pro project was a provincial matter. Okay. Well, well, the committee okay. which ran this were all these old minister friends of the guy who was embezzling money. So their first priority was to protect him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they said, oh, right. Reverend Staten, this is, this is all woo-hoo, it's all a misunderstanding, this isn't happening at all. And all these mm -hmm. Taiwanese elders mm -hmm. that are criticizing mm -hmm. him, they're, you know, uh, they're all KMT people, they're trying to destroy the work of the church and so on. And Reverend Staten doesn't understand this and he's mm -hmm. just a troublemaker. So, oh, wow. uh, this, uh, and I, but I did, uh, I did keep, I did keep my promise. I didn't tell anybody about that. I didn't say anything to anybody. But uh, the the uh -huh. World Council of Churches, which was a big funder, and we were one of the biggest programs they were mm -hmm. funding in Asia, this particular project, partly trusting my reports, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, was uh, they sent mm -hmm. somebody uh, to check things out and sort of they did this on a regular basis. But they she she came hearing that there had been some issues, and so. Uh, so I uh, so I was to translate for the director who didn't speak English, of course, uh, when he was uh, you know taking around to explain all the work and report to her. So uh, I said, okay, you know there are some problems here, and I have promised that I'm not to tell tell you what, but I tell you what I will do. When I translate, if I say in my translation, he says, okay. then. That's a flag that you should start asking more questions about this. <laughs> and it worked. It worked like a charm. <laughs> she picked it up right away. And, you know, he'd say something and she'd start, you know, going in and following, you know, digging into this. And, well, well, what about and so on? And, well, didn't you say so and so and so? And oh. he, he got more and more nervous. And, oh. and right. so that was a cue for her. Yeah. To and probe. Yeah. So, so, but I didn't uh, see. I, I kept my promise. I didn't tell her what was happening. <laughs> but uh, anyways, <laughs> and I told the. Anyways, then I found out from my fiance, not from the, not from the church, that I had been. I my term was up. Anyways, my three-year term, which was come to the normal end of his term, but I was had been mm -hmm. disinvited from Taiwan, so I would be sent home, but not be coming back. Oh. And so I wasn't actually kicked out, but I was disinvited from wow. coming back, right, at the request oh. of the of the Taipei Presbytery, right, because this guy's a troublemaker and so on. So did this go back to the trouble that you made when you were at the Mountain Student Center? No, no, no. That was they liked me making trouble that way because that was making trouble for the KMT. This was disinvited by the church, not by the government. <laughs> so, um, oh, this is yeah. This is because you exposed the embezzlement. Right, right. Anyways, I uh, in this process, uh, the uh, the tile people began to get very active after having been so passive mm -hmm. for a long time, and they begin to mm -hmm. present their demands mm -hmm. to the church. And we want we want control of this community development center, not not Taipei Presbytery. At that time, there was a tile presbytery as long as as long as well as other mm -hmm. Aboriginal presbyteries, but the churches in Wulai did not, up to that time, did not want to be part of the Tile Presbytery because they sort of liked the colonial relationship they had with the Taipei Presbytery, who, you know, gave money and helped out when people got sick and, you know, did things like the Community Development Center and stuff like that. So, you know, and they... So the, and the Tile Churches... In Wulai, yeah. 
just in Wulai. But this, of course, changed everything. The Tile churches were related to the Tile Aboriginal tribes. Yes. Yeah, so in in in, right. in the Presbyterian Church in Taiwan, uh, each Aboriginal group has its own presbytery by language, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's large or small, it's divided okay. by by language. Okay. So, uh, and. Uh, so they decided that they were going to leave Taipei Presbytery and join the Tile Presbytery, and they were telling and their friends in the Tile Presbytery, okay. uh, including a very young, very active minister mm-hmm. who, who unfortunately died of cancer a couple of years ago, a man with much talent and mm-hmm. uh, and leadership mm-hmm. ability. Uh, he was sort of the connection because he was actually the minister at the mm-hmm. Wulai Church then. So the Tile Presbytery got involved in this and. Uh, oh. And uh, anyways, I went back to Canada, but the fight continued in in uh, Taiwan in the uh, now at the national level in the executive in the central committee of the Presbyterian Church, the national central committee, right? And the Tile mm-hmm. people were saying we want uh-huh. we want to have this community development center under the Tile Presbytery, and we want to be in, in charge of it. You know, not let Taipei Presbytery be in charge of it. And, and mm-hmm. well, the uh, the mm-hmm. the the tile, the type of press where didn't really want to give up control of this because there was a lot of land that was owned by the uh, oh, I see the center, which was technically illegal, but anyways, uh, but tile. the uh, because only Aboriginal people or Aboriginal organizations could own that land, right? Uh, so, uh, so the fight went on, and eventually the church moderator, a new moderator. Uh, since the church couldn't decide, it was sort of, you know, deadlocked in the center committee. They said, okay, the moderator decides. And the moderator, I was told later by somebody who was at the meeting, said, well, says, uh, Taipei Presbytery says that uh, Michael Staten is a problem. But uh, the way I see it is Taipei Presbytery that has the problem. So so Shermusha can come back. So I came back uh, having... Oh. St- Studied uh, cooperative. I came back, but in the in the meantime, of the year I was in town, I got married, and my wife and I both studied at the Cody Institute at St. Francis Xavier University in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was where they trained people in using credit mm-hmm. unions and cooperatives as a way of doing community development, but also a way of educating people, as we say, uh, organizing people for power. So the Cody model of cooperatives and credit unions is not just something to help give them extra income. It is an educational process where the education is the core of community, you know, what we would now call consciousness raising or conscientizing education was the core of, of, mm-hmm. of what we were really mm-hmm. about. So I was able to go back. I was then invited to a mm. community development center in Taidong and Hualien that was doing a lot more good work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to introduce this model uh, to the Community Development Center. And our Community Development Center really did a lot of interesting things. Cooperatives, yes. Credit unions, yes. Uh, none of the cooperatives ever made money. <laughs> they were money losing, but we said, that's all oh. right. People are learning skills. Mm-hmm. Also, people are, we're doing cooperative education about you have to be masters of your own destiny, and a cooperative can make mm-hmm. you a master of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. You don't like being ripped off by these middlemen who are selling your crops. You know? Well, a cooperative, mm-hmm. you don't need the middlemen. Mm-hmm. The cooperative will handle these for you, right, at the higher levels. Mm-hmm. So all of these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it was a way of uh, doing, uh, you know, extending sort of the ideas of the Aboriginal student movement, who was was very much restricted to urban Aboriginal elites, right? Which is typical often in these these, these indigenous movements around the world, into the rural areas, right? And getting people to think about the why is it like this, you know? And uh, so. Uh, Mm-hmm. It was it was really the happiest time of my life and the most exciting time of my life doing this this work. So from 1984 to 1991, that's uh, where I worked, and my wife worked uh, training nurses in the operating room. Could you talk a little bit more about how these cooperatives raised consciousness through education? Let's say you you you're oh, a farmer, tra- a training right? You're a farmer, and you are. You want to sell your well? What they sold there were like plums, which they make the you know the omabashi, the pickled plums, you know the salted plums and these things. Oh, and they mm-hmm. had to be transported mm-hmm. yes. on huge mm-hmm. trucks all the way to the other side of the island, around through Gaoshan to Yuenlin, where all the factories were. Right? So you, of course, right. as a farmer, couldn't do this yourself. So you would, uh, and also probably mm-hmm. you needed money in the spring. So you would sell at a at a, maybe a discounted price your crop. To the middleman, right? And the middleman would then provide mm-hmm. you with the funds mm-hmm. that you needed, the fertilizer, sell you the fertilizer and other things that you needed, or to buy a new, you know, new machinery. So, uh, of course, most of the profits mm-hmm. then went to the middleman, and uh, right. you got you got something enough to you know make a living. But uh, your your crop was worth a lot more than that when it got delivered to the factory in mm-hmm. in. So the idea of a cooperative was that we're going to work together with other things. The cooperative as a whole, so all of the farmers together will be, is like it becomes like a company, and the cooperative will serve as the middleman, and mm-hmm. we will deal with right. They're pooling all their everything to sell together, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and at a, mm-hmm. and so that would give them the negotiating power with the factories because the this and many truckloads all you have to do one negotiation at a decent price and give us a bit of this and a bit of that right so mm-hmm. on so and the cooperative of course could borrow money through the credit union to give the farmers to cover their expenses mm-hmm. in the spring mm-hmm. you know when they when they okay. so mm-hmm. so uh, in that first of all they would see that this was a system which was exploiting them. But then looking at other things like uh, issues of paving roads mm-hmm. and uh, local development, they were seeing how actually the, the 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 everybody knew the officials were corrupt, you know, and the Guomindang officials were, were skimming money off the top, mm-hmm. and uh, you know this Tokung Jianliao, right? Uh, which you know the roads would be, you know, the, the the paving on the road would be about one inch thick. It would last just enough to last till the next election when they could get to pave it again, you know, and make lots of money again. Right. So, uh, right. And uh, mm-hmm. so one of the things, one of the cooperatives was in Josie Township, where these this plum cooperative was, and they did other things. They had a co-op store, of course, they had a credit union. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When they had the township elections. The president of the co-op ran for mayor, and again he ran independent against the KMT nominee of the township mayor, oh. and he won. Mm-hmm. He won that right. election through the yeah. unified support of everyone in the the cooperative, because people were beginning to see that the KMT was not working for them. Wow. So all of these things over time, they had, right. we would have classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, about you know being masters of your own destiny and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, 
talking about right, the, right, right. the choices that the right. poor so you're really empowering have. them. So empowering them and getting them to think about this well. So uh, of course, mm-hmm. the KMT very quickly found some excuse to kick him out of office. The excuse was. In the process of paving mm-hmm. roads, there was one little section of road that linked these two villages, which was not part of the paving contract. And he said, "That's ridiculous. It's like 50 meters, right? So oh, here, right. I'll just use, I'll just donate my own money, <laughs> to pave this extra 50 meters, right, to get the road finished, right? Instead right. of oh wow, and they they said, uh-huh. well, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you were embezzling money because you were, this had not been approved through the process." Oh. And so for donating his own money, oh. they charged him with embezzlement. This is what KMT laws. This oh, is what, wow. you know, it was still like many things like oh, communist goodness, China is today, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> and, of course, they kicked him out of office. And having been kicked out of office for right, committing right, a crime, right. he was therefore disqualified for running again. Oh, and so uh, oh, no. when the Aboriginal Return Our Land movement got going, uh, and, of course, the big demonstration it had been going for several years, but the big demonstration was August 25th, mm-hmm. 1988. We uh, paid for all of our Aboriginal staff at the Community Development Center to go and take part in the big march in Taipei, mm-hmm. for which their families, they and their okay. families, were visited by the police. Uh, a one a woman she talked about, well, oh, they wow. came, and, you know, my, my, my brother's a policeman. He said, don't go, you know, this is criticizing the government. You might get arrested and everything. And the mother said, don't mm-hmm. go. Right, make right, the, right. the father said, don't go. The father was a KMT party, uh-huh. party, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. cell chair and so on. And she really wanted to go. So uh, uh, she went, but they all got visited mm-hmm. by the police. And, and even the buses going from all over Taiwan, they would get stopped oh. on the, the freeway by the police. And they'd get everybody off and give them a lecture, you know, oh, you shouldn't be wow. going to this and opposing the government as you all know, this might be a riot and you might get killed or injured, you know, and so on. Oh. And, but the, by that time, it wasn't just Huadong. By that time, enough Aboriginal people in Taiwan and okay. the church, the Presbyterian church leaders themselves had become... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm strong mm-hmm. enough that they just looked at the police and said, uh, well, you know, we're going, so don't waste our time. <laughs> and so it was... Uh, wow. This was a very exciting period to be in town. Of course, the democratization, yeah. huge demonstrations mm-hmm. all the time, you know, for ending martial law. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There were, you know, the KMT was still, uh, you know, arresting people. Uh, you know, Tan Wen Tung was murdered, you know, pushed off the... Uh, uh, of the uh, mm-hmm. building at Taida in 1981, and then in 1988 uh, was mm-hmm. when uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, 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 Nylon, what's his name, Zheng uh, Nanrong, uh, you know, committed suicide by by yes. setting his place on fire when mm-hmm. the police came to arrest him for the nth time. Correction, Zheng Nanrong died in 1989, not 1988. We will include links about Chen Wenchen and Cheng Nanrong on our website for this episode. So there was still, uh, you know, things were opening up, but the, 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 the system hadn't been killed yet. Eventually, um, actually, to tell the truth, our marriage was on the rocks, and uh, the church said, we can't send you back to Taiwan, you know, to go back to have a divorce. Uh-huh. And so, they, again, when the term was up, we, we came back to Canada in 1991, and... Uh, but uh, well, what am I going to do now? And I decided, well, you know, from these in- 
Aboriginal people had learned so much, but they were so different. This tiny little island, the size of Vancouver Island, with all these different mm-hmm. Aboriginal mm-hmm. tribes and the language was different, but the cultures were so dramatically different right. between each right. each tribe. And even the the, yeah. the unconscious culture, I'm not just talking yes. about the sort of official culture, the, the, the way people thought, the way people made decisions was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, and I learned this at the student center, getting students to scrub the toilet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, of course... This is a dormitory, right? Okay. And they have toilets, and every every you know every week, I think yes. have to be cleaned yes. and washed. Well, yes. I began to discover, and I didn't understand really why then, right? That different tribes, you had to go through different mm-hmm. things. The tile would just resist, resist, resist. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do this. This was insulting. And basically, I mean, there were times I had to take them by the hand and drag them in there and say, I'm standing here until this you finish scrubbing this toilet and cleaning the washroom. And, and the tile wow. were like okay. that. They were oh, quite wow. resistant when they didn't want to do something. The Bunung would do mm-hmm. it. They'd take their own sweet time, okay. and they, but they'd do the job and, uh, you know, they wouldn't... Uh, but you just had to give them <laughs> space and time to do it. They wouldn't do it right away, but they would do it, right? And, uh, and this is very... Uh, and the the Amis, the Paiwan, the, the, the sorry, the Bilma students, uh, well, the Paiwan and the Bilma mm-hmm. students would do it, right? They realized it was their job, and they might not be mm-hmm. happy. Well, mm-hmm. it was my turn two weeks ago. Well, I'm sorry, I chose mm-hmm. it again, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but they do it, and they do a good job, right? Mm-hmm. And there was sort of, a, you know, the, the, okay. the individual pride, which comes out of those, that aristocratic okay. tradition in both of these tribes. But the most interesting ones were the Amis. The Ami students had to do it. I, you know, and again, it was hard to get the, the younger students. Some of them were just going into the high school entrance exams, so basically just out of junior high school, right? It was, it was. They just wouldn't oh, do it, wow. and they'd put it off oh, yeah. and not do it. And I'm, when are you going to do this? Oh, do it, do it. And finally, I realized, okay. One of the students told me, "Listen, that one of the older Ami students." Uh, you tell me who's supposed to mm-hmm. do it, and I will make sure they do it. Why? And it did. He told them, and oh. they did it. Why? Because the Amis have the oh. age grade system, and the younger age grades oh. must always obey the older age grades. Listen to their elders. Right. And so this mm. was a totally out of a traditional see, situation, and yet in their minds, that age grade system had moral force. So the director of the student center can ask, and mm. we'll see if we can get away from from not doing it. But mm. once the older <laughs> Ami student told us to do it, we have to do it now. <laughs> so that really got me interested in. Oh, so culture. then the question is: Did the older Ami students ever clean the bathroom, yes, they had to or clean were they up. always ordering? No, they had, to, they had to clean it up too, but they would, you know, be an example. So, okay. yeah, it was always a bit okay. of a battle sometimes. But, but, anyways, that was. I always, <laughs> so I began to learn anthropology through getting students to wash the toilet. Reverend Staden also talked about the Taiwanese Human Rights Association of Canada which had origins in the actions of Taiwanese-Canadian Columbus Liu. That was in 1988, after martial law in Taiwan had been lifted, but the blacklist remained in effect. A young Taiwanese in Toronto, Columbus Liu, decided he was going to break through this this barrier and challenge the blacklist. So he went back, got into Taiwan, 
started going around making speeches saying Taiwan Duli, Taiwan Duli, right, Taiwan Duli. And of course, he got arrested. The martial law had been lifted. Yes, martial law was over, but they still had the national security law and one of the and these yes. laws about that yes. allowed them to blacklist, which would be the immigration law, right? So, uh, right. so uh, he got arrested, but a, right, the blacklist was still in effect. Right. So he's a Canadian citizen. So they just kicked him out of the country. So he went mm -hmm. back to the country, changed his passport mm -hmm. from Loisir to Columbus Leo, and went back again with a new passport mm -hmm. and and a new name, and got in again. And then and got into Taiwan under Columbus Leo. Yeah, worked very hard again mm -hmm. to get himself arrested, going around you know making the speeches and Taiwan <laughs> independence and so on. Right. You know he was very determined. Uh, you know, <laughs> he was young and uh, you know so he got arrested, was put on trial. Mm -hmm. I and other people were. I was sent by the Presbyterian Church by the United Church of Canada to be an observer at his trial, and there were other mm -hmm. Canadian observers there, including. Oh. Uh, the Thai, the director of the Taipei Economic, sorry, the Canadian Trade Office in Taipei, David Maroney, who was well known in Canada. He went on to be Canada's ambassador to Peking later mm -hmm. on, and now is very critical of, or was, has been very mm -hmm. critical of Canada's, you know, kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, and he's a great advocate of human rights, mm -hmm. David Mulroney. So he, he, that's when I first met him. In the meanwhile, they had organized a, a Columbus Leo support committee, and to support him, and uh, then they decided okay. to continue as the Taiwanese Association for Human Rights. So I was became a member in 1992 mm -hmm. and was soon on the executive, and we did a lot of interesting things through the 90s and got we, uh, we organized the first non-government or uh, either KMT or Canadian uh, members of parliament uh, sponsored by you know, TICO, uh, the not, first non-government uh, election mm -hmm. observer delegation to go and watch the 1982 legislative elections oh. in Taiwan. These are very important. This okay. was the first complete re-election of the legislature, right? ending the old... Oh, you mean 1992. 19, so 1992, so yes, uh, 1992. And the end of the rule of the, the Lao Tse, you know, the old crooks uh, who were retired by Li Donghui. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so that we mm -hmm. took, uh, we took uh, three members of parliament, uh, two of who then became long-term friends of Taiwan, Jim Peterson, liberal, uh, from Willowdale, mm -hmm. my own writing right here, mm -hmm. and Albert Lin's writing, and, and also Columbus mm -hmm. Leo's writing, mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, a very mm -hmm. active minister, United Church minister, who was a, was a NDP member of parliament, Bill Blakey. Bill Blake, of course, went on to be, uh, uh, he ran for the leadership of the NDP, uh, but lost to Jack Layton, but he was also became deputy speaker of the House of Commons and served mm -hmm. 25 years as a member of parliament, retired with great, right. great honor, mm -hmm. and everyone respected him. And so, mm -hmm. so. But these, so this election mm -hmm. observation, we may have helped, you know, keep the KMT from being too obvious in his oh, wait, election. Oh, I thought you said there was three. You mentioned two. So the third one was a, name, a woman called Mary Clancy, from liberal from Nova Scotia. But after she went okay. back, uh, after the next election in Canada, she should have just dropped out of politics and we never heard from her again. So, uh, oh. so that's why I say these two became long-term friends of Taiwan in Parliament, right? And, right. And in Canada, so. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, Mm -hmm. That was one project we did. Another project we did was uh, was in 1996. 
we organized a visit of indigenous leaders from Taiwan, including, among others, Yichang Balu, the student who first ran for election at the student center. <laughs> Back in 1981, we had some clergy and also mm -hmm. uh, uh, two legislators, uh, one KMT and one... Uh, so two KMT and one DPP who was mm -hmm. come. Mm -hmm. And my idea was that if we get all of these people who are all different factions as well as different political parties, right. everybody had a different view of what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. So if we can get them in Canada out of the political right. pressure cooker of Taiwan, maybe they could sit down and at a distance, literally, you know, see things a bit more clear and build a mm -hmm. wider unity among themselves, you know, to promote Aboriginal rights. So uh, it was a good okay. visit, well, and uh, mm -hmm. the Taiwanese community was most mm -hmm. generous. They raised bucket loads of money for this. In fact, we had a big surplus at the yeah. end of this whole trip, which wasn't cheap, of course, wow. bringing mm -hmm. them to Canada. Tico mm -hmm. did not help, of course. We insisted this was going to be totally independent. And, uh, totally independent, and uh, so uh, independent, sure. We visited mm -hmm. uh, from all from British Columbia right through to Quebec and Ottawa, uh, different. Uh, settings yeah. of Aboriginal groups at different different approaches to self-government because that was one of the mm -hmm. essences. Mm -hmm. There is no made-in-heaven mm -hmm. template for self-government. So it was to expose them to how it, the Aboriginals in Canada were self-governing? And well, and how there were different approaches. Some people were, were satisfied with a very low level sort of yes. a municipal government approach. Other people right. said, no, 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 we want, right. we want mm -hmm. our own mm -hmm. land, treaty and control of everything, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like the Nishka Treaty, uh, mm -hmm. which had just been signed at that time, I think. Uh, so uh, they met uh, with some people, Ovid Mercredi, who was the very, very visionary leader of the uh, Assembly of First Nations. They sort of signed an agreement, a treaty, you know, to, of fellowship. Anyways, um, the uh, that was uh, some of the things I've that the Taiwanese Human Rights Association of Canada has done. We are now at a rather low period in our life, but uh, who knows? Uh, we might uh, we might mm -hmm. reorganize and get back into action again. Can you comment at all on what's going on with Indigenous people's rights in Taiwan these days? There is a lot happening, although not. I'd like to be more in touch with what's actually happening locally on the ground because this is where it's happening now. So uh, sure. The uh, mm -hmm. so yes uh, under under Tsai Wen the the they they did pass a, you know well, not before long before Tsai Wen in the nineties they passed the Yenzu Mintiban for basic Aboriginal law and this you know guaranteed Aboriginal rights and so now the story is how to put these mm -hmm. into practice so for instance education now there is a mm -hmm. a huge push to, uh, for and it's being done for teaching Aboriginal mother tongues in every Aboriginal school whichever language it is the same way that they pushing, you know, Hakka and Taiwanese in, in, in uh, Taiwanese schools. And mm -hmm. so the government's put a lot of money into mm -hmm. training Aboriginal mother tongue teachers who are properly trained teachers, but also properly mm -hmm. teach how to teach a language, right? Because for some of these kids, they won't, they won't know any of it. So, and I know this because my, one of my mm -hmm. Aboriginal grandsons, my oldest grandson is one of those people being trained as a teacher mm -hmm. <laughs> in this mm -hmm. program. They also, of course, have passed, oh, uh, in principle, the law that uh, returning, uh, so delineating Aboriginal traditional territories, 
and then returning more land because the return on land movement never got much land returned. Okay. What was returned was to mm -hmm. individuals. And now they say, no, 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 mm -hmm. we want to mm -hmm. have our own collective ownership of this land and control of this land recognized. You know? And so the, the, the government has agreed mm -hmm. to that. And it's not easy to implement because, first of all, you have to have go through committees to set up, well, yes. in, every, in every tribe, in every area, what are the what are the boundaries of Aboriginal mm -hmm. traditional territory here, which is not easy, because you know there were no treaties like we have in Canada. And I'm sure if you're talking about the whole tribe, it involves a lot more people. Right, and territories overlap. You know, for instance, in 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 Taidong, well, there's a lot of territory. There's mm -hmm. a lot of land. The Amis, well, this is Amis traditional land. The, the Buma, the Bainan people said, no, 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 this is Buma land. You know, mm -hmm. This is our traditional territory. So this, this happens too. And and uh, and the other thing is uh, still the KMT versus the Aboriginal movement is, uh, is still one of the big themes. So the KMT, who control all but a couple of the township governments in, Ta in Aboriginal Taiwan, all the Yen, all the Aboriginal what we used to call a Sandi Xiang Yuan Zumin Xiang, they set up their committee through the township council to then go about the delineation of the land, right? But for instance, among the Tile mm -hmm. and the Punong especially, uh, and and other groups, mm -hmm. they're setting up their own committees based on their their Minzu uh, Yihui uh, uh, or their their Aboriginal movement. Uh, proto self-government organization right and so they have these two groups mm -hmm. each competing mm -hmm. for how the how this uh, delineating the land should done and what the rules should be and so they're fighting over that and uh, and then the other thing is the government mm -hmm. said yes uh, we will give aboriginal people control uh, over all traditional territories but not privately owned land within the traditional territories that is privately owned, right? For instance, if, if you, you own a factory and it's, uh, or, you know, you have your, your Taiwanese and you have your farm and Aboriginal land, that will still be under the general control of the, the general government in Taiwan, right? But all government mm -hmm. land and all public land okay. will, will be under the control then of the Aboriginal self-government in each tribe when it's finally gets set up, which is also a long process, especially with the fighting between the KMT and the Aboriginal movements and so on. So things are moving in Taiwan. People aren't happy that they're not moving fast enough or they're not moving in the direction they want it to move, but things are moving and they're, this is, uh, they're doing the hard work of, of trying to get this implemented in practice. Right? And of course, one of the issues is, well, how do you deal with the people yeah. private land? They're not yeah. going to be very happy if the Aboriginal township government is now there. You have to pay rent to them, and they decide, okay, we want to kick you off our land, uh, which uh, Canada has faced no, this right. issue too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so these are mm -hmm. these are serious and difficult issues, but the government is sincere in working on them. Yi Jiang is the head of the Aboriginal Affairs Commission. Of course, they all are happy with him because he's the, oh he's become so conservative. You know, he, he moves too slowly. You know, he should be pushing harder. So. But uh, but governments, even in Canada, right, especially in Canada, move slowly when there's yeah. all these difficult right. issues to handle. But I am 
but the, the Presbyterian Church is still very much at the heart of the Aboriginal movement. Many of the leaders are Presbyterian clergy. Still mm -hmm. much of the funding for things like mm -hmm. demonstrations or law case, court cases is put mm -hmm. up by the Presbyterian Church. So uh, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a church which has changed very much from when I was disinvited back in the 1980s. You know, it's a church that stands very much in solidarity with Aboriginal people. So that's good. That's great. That's good to hear. Do you think that's because of the democratization of Taiwan so that has changed the Presbyterian Church? Well, it has because uh, they, uh, but also the, the whole position of indigenous people in the Presbyterian Church. In 1980s when I was there, generally speaking, you know, the Aboriginal Presbyterians were poor. The leadership were older men who maybe spoke Japanese, they couldn't speak Taiwanese, so they had difficulties. When they went to the Central Committee, which he Presbytery would have two representatives of the church, they right. couldn't even understand the discussion because they, right. you know, unless it was in Japanese, uh, because nobody wow. else yeah, nobody yeah, else spoke, you know, sure. Lukai or something. So, uh, right. so uh, there was still, frankly, a, a kind of colonial rep relationship and yeah, they were the poor gap. and so they mm -hmm. made them happy that big city churches were, mm -hmm. were giving them lots of money which they should do and and to their credit uh, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. there was still this colonial mm -hmm. leadership well now we have a new generation of leaders who came into maturity as students and young ministers in the return our land movement and to be aboriginal means to be standing up for your rights right and to fight for your rights and it's part of their their theology too, mm -hmm. their belief, you know, it's also mm -hmm. part of their faith. So, uh, and the church there, now the Taiwanese have learned to have much more respect and to work with the Aboriginal people as equals and supporters and not as, you know, well, you're still basically our little colonial you know, mission, right? <laughs> Here in Taiwan, which that idea is long gone. Right, so right. so uh, I can only say really good things about what the church is doing now, although in the 1980s I had lots of critique, criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then that's progress. It's good that they've It is progress. Around. I'm thankful that, you know, I've yeah. been blessed right. to be allowed to do something that I believed in, to be allowed to be, uh, you know, accepted as a co-worker by these uh, Aboriginal people and who later became Aboriginal leaders and mm -hmm. to be a co-worker mm -hmm. in, the, in the church, the Presbyterian mm -hmm. church, despite uh, one, one, blip, mm -hmm. one bump in the road, right, uh, has been a great honor in my life. Yeah. And uh, to be able to do, be part of some small things that we've done which have helped push the process along, right, in little ways. So. So, yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm grateful, yeah. and uh, now I'm thinking once we've got uh, George S. Mackay resurrected, I think I'll retire and uh, and go back to working on my stamp collection. Well, thank you very much. I mean, it, it definitely can see how you made an impact um, in the time that you were in Taiwan, for sure. Well, it was part of it, and it was so many other people working together, right? So one of the rules yes, yes. for missionaries should be. Mm -hmm. and was, I was there, and which I take very seriously, mm -hmm. was that you are there to be with them, be among them, but you are not to be the leader. And you are to uh, you know, respect their their wishes. Uh, you are not mm -hmm. to, to try to, mm -hmm. you are not to try to claim credit for these things, even if you could, right? That 
part of empowerment is that the people should say, mm -hmm. we did this ourselves. You know, well, yes, you did it yourselves. And, you know, I was part of that, but you did it yourselves. You know, you took power in your own hands. So that was really part of my ministry, basically to empower, empower particularly indigenous uh, Mm -hmm. co-workers uh, mm -hmm. over the years yeah. and uh, it's something i try to stick to today well thank you uh, uh, felicia this has been a lot of fun for me of course it's always fun to get to tell cool stories from your life right so i've had a great time talking with you and uh, thank you for doing this i've been speaking with reverend michael stanton about his time in taiwan and work with an indigenous people of taiwan this episode of talking taiwan has been sponsored by natoa the North America Taiwanese Women's Association, NATOA, was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.